The following is a presentation of the Black Hollywood Live Network, the first online broadcast network dedicated to African-American entertainment. Hollywood Redefined. From Los Angeles, California, presented by Maria Menounos and streaming live thanks to Akamai Technologies, this is Black Hollywood Live, breaking into... Featuring in-depth interviews with today's most influential entertainment figures, highlighting their tips, tricks, and techniques on breaking into the entertainment industry. You're listening to Black Hollywood Live. And now, the host of Black Hollywood Live, breaking into. Hey, what's up, everybody? You're watching Breaking Into. I am your host, Dario Kristen, and here joining me is the beautiful Jessica King. Hello, hello. Our very special guest today is a multi-talented filmmaker. Sheldon Candace is here with us today. Peace out. Welcome. Welcome, man. Thank you, thank you. You know what? You went to USC Film School, which yes. is the best of the best, first of all. Now, would you suggest someone who is breaking into the film industry to try and go to film school or to kind of maneuver into, you know, a regular university and just study film? Which do you think is better? Well, first of all, I say as a, as I was listening to the opening of the show, I'm um, it's a mandate that I share tips and secrets of breaking into the industry. Yes. And I don't know how I feel about that. <laughs> <laughs> no, you want to keep them all to yourself no, in the but, vault? No, that's exactly why I'm here. Um, no, you know, what's interesting is, is that, I mean, I was fortunate enough to study film at USC um, but I always say to people, you know, while I was in film school, I also was working on sets as an assistant. So, you know, because when I got to California from North Carolina, you know, we had no idea that USC was a private institution. Right. So it was very, very expensive. And I carried a certain level of guilt, you know, for my parents having to pay for such an expensive education. So what I always say to people, like, it. You know, we can never stop educating ourselves. So mm-hmm. I think it's very, very important that you do go to school. But then you get the people to say, well, you know, Quentin Tarantino didn't go to no film school. True. But then I say to them, but he went to his own film school. You know, he worked in that rental house and he studied every one of those movies. Mm-hmm. You know, he literally, not that he only watched those films, he studied those movies. So now... When he's a filmmaker, he's a master at the craft. He can play with genre. You know, he can totally play with the whole aspects of making movies. So I think that's very, very important. Look, at the end of the day, Kobe Bryant is one of the best because he studied all the greats that came before him. Mm-hmm. True. You know? So. And then in that process, uh, is there an organization or a group? If, if I'm living, like you said, you grew up in North Carolina. Yeah. If I'm there and I want to be a filmmaker, is there something that I can look at online to kind of help get me into that mix when I don't really have that in my direct repertoire yeah i mean i think you know a big part of me learning is uh director commentaries on dvds Mm -hmm. you know you listen to a lot of paul thomas anderson commentaries on boogie nights on magnolia i mean it literally is like sitting in in a class and because you're learning from someone who is so proficient and so great at what they do in the craft of filmmaking um in terms of hollywood the industry you know i I am truly thankful for Film Independent. Mm-hmm. Um, they're a great organization that really embraces and empowers new voices in the industry. Um, and they really, really look out for minorities and women and people who who basically don't necessarily have all the greatest opportunities in Hollywood to pursue a career. So I'm really, really thankful for that organization because they've really embraced me as an independent filmmaker and pushed me forward. Mm -hmm. Yeah. So, you know, 
Los Angeles is obviously the place to be if you want to work in film. And yeah. you briefly mentioned that while you were in college at USC, you worked on some sets and things like that. Yeah. So do you think that going to school in L.A. Um, kind of gave you a head start or a bigger advantage once you were ready to start your career? Yeah, I mean, I think so a lot. I mean, but here's what's happening. You have to understand something. I was the last class at USC School of Cinema to basically work with Super 8 film. Mm -hmm. You know, so we would literally take Super 8 film, shoot it, process it, hot glue it and edit it in our little (laughs) tiny apartments. Then on Mondays, you know, go tramping across campus with a big projector in your hand and a cassette player. And you literally would get to class and you would shoot an image against a wall. You'd wait for the two pop and the two pop was your sound sync and you'd hit play on on the cassette player. So I'm in a sense, I'm, I'm, I'm one of, as I say, one of the last dinosaurs. (laughs) Um, now, and then the very next semester, it all went digital. And so now you can imagine, I mean, that was the year, uh, two, 2000, you know, we're now in the year 2014. So in saying all of that, you don't have to be in Hollywood. Mm-hmm. You know, to tell a story. Mm-hmm. And now you have all of the tools and assets. But once again, I come back to study mm-hmm. and and really have something to say and really be proficient in the stories that you're telling and have a voice. Mm-hmm. You know, it's super important. So, And then for someone who can't afford film school or can't afford to go to a university, what tips would you suggest starting off that they could use to kind of really get out there? Yeah. You know, it's... John Singleton said it, and I think it's one of the most profound things he's ever said. And he actually said that someone, he heard someone else say it before he said it, was the cheapest movie you can make is the one you write. Yeah. Meaning it, I mean, it it virtually costs you nothing but your time and your energy and your passion to write a story. Um, And, you know, you look at someone like John when, you know, he went to USC film school. He was someone that I looked up to. You know, I can I can remember being a kid watching Boys in the Hood in a yeah. movie theater and that doing something to me yeah. that, you know, I called is the power of cinema. And I think that you both can you can probably immediately take yourself back to that Absolutely. moment you saw Boys in the Hood. And I think that at the end of the day that that's what was drawing me to this and I looked at someone like John I was like oh wow he went to USC film school you know Robert Zemeckis all these wonderful filmmakers you know and I was like I have to go study film um and I think that's just like really really important for young people especially nowadays because everything is so instant mm-hmm. you know I think us growing up you know I don't want to say it's the the last age of enlightenment for kids but i think it's going to take a while for kids to be really wowed by anything you think about when we were kids we had a lot of great breakthroughs and invention the microwave (laughs) the vcr (laughs) laptop computer atari and then then atari 2000 right right you know and so nintendo you know um beepers wow that's like an ancient word <laughs> cell phones right I mean, cell phones when they, when they were boxes exactly. you know what i mean before they were thin and little and you could just put them in your pocket yeah. <laughs> so yeah well speaking of writing you know you're obviously an amazing director but you're also a writer how important is it for a director to also know how to write mm. that is that is a very very good question um you I realized a long time ago that 
any shot I was going to get at being a director was going to come through me being a writer. Mm-hmm. And at the end of the day, you have to create your opportunity to be a director. Mm-hmm. Um, be, unless you have just a phenomenal body of work that you've made in a short form, you know, that you've made great short films and you've worked in, you know, used to be music videos, not so much anymore. Usually, usually a music video director who was a visionary could break through into feature films. Um, but nowadays it's super, super important to once again, have a voice and have a story that you want to tell that no one else can tell, Mm -hmm. you know? Um, and for myself, you know, it, it, it took a while to really find what my voice was. You know, I feel people like, Spike Lee, Martin Scorsese, you know, I feel like they they knew very early on what their voice was, what it is they wanted to communicate to the world, what they wanted you to feel from their films. Um, And so I always say this to people, you know, don't be in a hurry to make movies, you know, really hone in on what it is you want to say for myself. It's always about boys searching for father figures. Mm-hmm. More so, and, and it's also about family, about characters searching for family. Mm-hmm. And for me, my work will always speak from that, you know, because at a very young age, you know, I watched my parents' relationship end. And that had a profound effect on me. Mm-hmm. So, and then as a filmmaker, you're essentially self-employed. Yes. You have to create your own projects and, and vision. What keeps you motivated and inspired during this process? Um, here on Black Hollywood Live, we're getting, the tough, the we're, tough questions. We're getting very deep we're on digging, Black Hollywood Live. We're, we're, we're going in. <laughs> <laughs> we don't want you to cry, though. I got, you know. <laughs> Uh, there are a few clips you can find me crying is he crying again Um, let's see it um you know i i feel like for myself i really believe that i have a responsibility and i have a responsibility not only to entertain but to educate and I feel, especially when it comes to people who look like me and people who experience the world the same way that I do. Um, and I feel that, like, look, at the end of the day, you know, I don't think Quentin Tarantino necessarily has a mandate or he has a calling or responsibility to to educate you. He's It's pure entertainment. Right. You know, um, and but for myself, that's what really, really keeps me motivated is is telling a story, aiming to tell a story well, and and just you know every time somebody sees something that I make or something that I create with my writing partner Justin Wilson, I want to emotionally move you. You know, um, for me, I never had any real aspiration to to direct music videos, but you know when I had the opportunity to work with Jay Cole and he said, listen, you know this there's a horrible tragedy that happened. You know, a young girl named Ayanna Stanley Jones was seven years old, and she was killed during a police raid in Detroit. He's like, you know, I'd, I want to take my music and make a social statement short mm-hmm. film based off of her story. Because, you know, after Trayvon Martin and Oscar Grant, many people knew nothing about Ayanna Stanley Jones. Yeah. And so for me, once again, that's a, that's a, a, a symbiotic relationship that's created between cinema and storytelling and then also educating with the story that you're telling. So, 
Is it ever easy to get caught up and distracted by the glitz and glamour of Hollywood? And um, you know, I, this is what I'm a firm believer in. I believe that who you are at your core, what your foundation is built upon, this place that is a real place, but then it also is a make believe place. Hollywood is only going to intensify is only going to magnify your true self you know to thine own self be true so if you're a very generous caring person once you reach certain accolades and certain accomplishments in in your life and this career i believe it's only going to you're only going to become even more of a generous caring person and then of course there's the other side of that um, that I feel happens to a lot of people. You know, I'm fortunate enough that, you know, look, my mom at the age of 50 went back to college and got her master's in theology. Wow. wow. That's amazing. So my mom's a minister now. And I, so I find myself later in my life being a preacher's kid. <laughs> and, and you know, and really, and so at the end of the day, as much as I have struggled with my own faith and what is all of this, yeah. you know, I always have that foundation of what my mother taught me and the special relationship I have with her. So. And then you made your directorial debut with Love, yes. um, which is an unbelievable film. Thank you. And you had a lot of A-listers in that. You had mm-hmm. Danny Glover, Megan Good, even uh, Dennis Habert. Mm-hmm. Um, how did you get those talents to be a part of that movie when it was your first film? You know, what is the process that you went through, went through to get that? Well, I think I always say, you know, if if you tell a story and you tell it well, they'll show up. Um, now, but I also believe that it's all in how you see life and, and, and how your paradigm is shifted, meaning, you know, you're in your logos and your logos, meaning how you see the world. And for me, I've just always been a big believer in it's not if it's only when, Mm. you know, and you have to work very, very hard. And I always say it's a thousand no's for one. Yes. Somebody's going to say yes. I also understand that this gift that I've been given um, to tell stories and to tell movies and and, and cinematic things, once again, people who look like me aren't getting those opportunities. You know, when I think about a wonderful actor like Dennis Hazebert, he is an individual who's a wonderful actor. You know, he was in a, this great film, Far From Heaven. You know, he's been in Michael Mann's Heat. Um, but unfortunately, Dennis hasn't been given a lot of opportunities to just be an actor. Mm-hmm. You know, he's he's on TV every third commercial selling car insurance. Mm-hmm. So I believe if, in fact, I can get to him, which after you go through Film Independent, and that entity says, okay, this guy right here has a story to tell. We're, we're backing him. We're saying to you, Hollywood, you need to pay attention to him. Yeah. Once that happens, now I can realistically have a shot at Dennis Haysbert, Danny Glover, um, Charles Dutton, Michael K. Williams, Megan Good. I mean, I was really, really fortunate and blessed on my first film. They just, it, it literally was like, um, it was like a great, like, rock, like a, just a great black. I don't know if you guys have ever seen Watch Stacks. I have not. So Watch Stacks was basically the black Woodstock okay. that happened in Watts. 
and you have all these great musicians coming through over a weekend just putting down wonderful performances in the 70s and literally my film was like that it's like you know danny glover would come in and like you know and at first you're in awe you know that's mister from color purple right you know that's you know that's that's detective Myrtle from lethal weapon but then at that moment that you're the director he's the actor you're telling the story he comes and does wonderful work and i'm so thankful to him because here it is you know i made i always tell people i made my movie for two dollars in a turkey sandwich <laughs> that film was a super super low budget film but those actors because at their core that's who they are they want to give a performance they read that script and it was like we we got felt it. it we yeah. felt it yeah so Wow, I can't imagine how surreal that must have been. Oh gosh! I mean, and frightening. <laughs> <laughs> Both. Uh, I, I mean, you obviously told the story very well because it was selected for the Sundance Film Festival, mm-hmm. which is amazing. As an aspiring filmmaker, how did you go about getting your film considered for one of the most well-known film festivals, Sundance? You know, I'm. It's a paraphrase on a Winston Churchill quote, and it's um, a successful person fails time and time again, but he does not blink. And, you know, I had applied at Sundance in the past, as you know, as, as a short filmmaker mm-hmm. and in that feeling of not getting in mm-hmm. and that feeling of like not being good enough. And I just really, really believe that you just have to keep going. And and also, too, you're constantly getting stronger, you know, because you're putting the work in. I always say, you know, a lot of people are familiar with Malcolm Gladwell's The 10,000 Hours. Yeah. So for all your viewers who are, who are younger and breaking in, like, really read The 10,000 Hours. Be aware of Malcolm Gladwell's 10,000 Hours because what it is, is is that anyone who's been successful in their lives and is passionate about something They've put 10,000 hours into getting to that, which hit me one day. I was like, wow, that's very synonymous with Hollywood because there's a saying in Hollywood that it takes 10 years to be an overnight success. Mm -hmm. And so if you think about it, if you think about Gladwell's at 10,000 hours, then yes, in fact, that breaks down to basically 1,000 hours a year that you will be dedicated to yourself outside of working to pay bills, going to school, whatever it may be. 1,000 hours a year towards your dream. And in many cases in Hollywood, even more than 10 years. That's true. You know, so I think that that is really, really important to, you know, we have to put the work in. Right. Yeah. It's all about the work and the steps. Yes. So with the steps, what walk us through some of your process of of the inception of the thought of the vision for the idea of a film to making it a big feature film. Hmm. Maybe a couple of bullet points, because yeah. I know it's like a, a long <laughs> process for you. So, maybe so this, how much time? Yeah, how much time do you have for this interview today? No, but just a couple of steps of someone who is kind of in the same yeah. boat of trying to figure it all out. You can give them some advice on how you create the vision and, and create it to taking it to the next level. Well, the first thing is, is I come back to your voice. What do you want to say? You know, what is it? You know, like, for example... Love them, hate them, celebrate them, be annoyed by them. The Wayans brothers know what their voice is. Absolutely. You see what I'm saying? This is their voice. This is what they're communicating in the world of storytelling. Yeah. You know, and if you think about it, a lot of people, mankind has always been storytelling from Egyptian hieroglyphics 
to even nowadays bad reality TV. <laughs> Everything in mankind is storytelling. We're constantly telling stories. You know, this interview is I'm telling you a story, Mm -hmm. you know, and I think that that's really, really important of what is the special story you want to tell? If you only got one shot to make a movie in your entire life, is this it? Mm. You know, um, and that's so I think if you start there, then that'll keep you going through three years of writing love the screenplay 50 over 50 different drafts of the script Mm -hmm. you know this is going to keep you going because there's something in you that's saying i gotta get this story out Mm -hmm. i I gotta tell the story practically speaking you know make sure that if you're for example you're breaking into screenwriting you want to be a screenwriter you want to be a writer director make sure once again you study all the greats Make sure you're fully aware of all of Hitchcock's movies. Hitchcock is the master. Mm-hmm. I'm not even saying that you have to make movies like Alfred Hitchcock, but just make sure you understand, because once you understand Hitchcock, then everyone else that you admire, when you go see David Fincher tonight, <laughs> and, you, and, and you're able to look at a David Fincher shot and be like, oh my God, that was in Vertigo. Like, and you're able to identify yeah. the blueprint that has been set in this craft of filmmaking. So that's super, super important. Also, read all the great screenplays. I got to tell you, like, when I read The Shawshank Redemption in film school, the screenplay, the, first of all, the movie, look, if the movie comes on today, I'm my, my day's shot. <laughs> like, I, I can watch the movie over and over it again. It is a great one. But then when I actually read the screenplay, I was like, oh, my gosh, like, this is great. And I think we all should aspire to be great, not just do, but to be great at what we do. And so, and the same thing, like, when I read The Sixth Sense, I was like, man, this is an amazing screenplay. Mm-hmm. So study that because that study is going to help you in creating your story. Watch a ton of movies, study them, but then be working. You know what I mean? And then actually go and develop a rapport. Another thing that a lot of directors don't do is go and get in acting workshops. Go work with actors. Mm -hmm. So then, therefore, when you're on set with an actor, you can communicate and speak their language. You know, especially once you get to a point where you get to work with people like Danny Glover and Dennis Haysburg. You you have to know how to communicate to these people. Mm -hmm. So that... I hope that was helpful. No, listen, I just learned a lot of things just right now. So, Uh, as As a black director in Hollywood... What are some of the biggest obstacles you faced in making film? I mean, Black Hollywood Live is just like... <laughs> I mean, y'all... We're, I'm, I'm, we're getting our Oprah on right now. Exactly. You know? <laughs> uh, look, I'm, I'm trying to stay employed after this interview. <laughs> Sheldon, Sheldon went on Black Hollywood Live and was calling out names. Showed out. <laughs> He only made one movie. He ain't Spike Lee yet. <laughs> um, let's see. Hmm. I'm trying. I'm trying to think about what will be useful um, with with my response. Stumped you. Well, well let's. It, if that's kind of a stumper mm-hmm. right there. What about like? Do you see that there's a change in Hollywood? I mean, we've obviously had. 
12 Years a Slave, which was mm-hmm. a huge success, The Butler, and, and, and no, numerous films. Mm-hmm. Do you see that there's a change in Hollywood now where it will be a better future for African-American directors, writers, producers to have opportunities to tell their story and that more films will be greenlit in, in Hollywood? I mean, here's the thing. It, I mean, and I'm so happy that the black Hollywood mugs are on set with us. That's right. Always <laughs> represent black Hollywood mugs. Well, I'll take a sip right now. Yes. And, and the reason why I say this is because, once again, it comes down to how you choose to see life. Is this mug half empty or is it half full? I choose to believe always that it's half full. That there's always going to be an opportunity for us. And no matter how statistics or how things may be said or done, I believe that there will always be an opportunity for me because I know how to tell a story. You know, and you can never lose the power. And also with us, because this is Black Hollywood Live, that we have a cultural currency. Our culture dictates culture all throughout the world. Yeah. You know, I've been fortunate enough through, you know, I always believe this. I believe that making movies would give me the ability to see the world. And so I made my film, and that film took me all over the world. I, was, I got to go to Panama. I got to go to Tokyo. I got to go to Paris, all showing the film. And when you go there, you understand the power in the stories you possess from your existence in this world. Mm-hmm. So in saying all of that, once again, you know, it. you just have to be defined in the story you want to tell. And so, and at the end of the day, you have to, but you have to find a way to get that story told. Right. Because, you know, the, the studio movies are now all about, you know, um, werewolves and superheroes. Right. Mm -hmm. Okay. So less movies are being made and a certain type of movies being made. So you have to go create a film that is saying something special or, or that is speaking out. So like, for example, if you think of like, I'm really, really proud of, you know, since I went to Sundance with love, you know, I'm really, really proud to see these minority filmmakers break through. I'm proud to see Ava DuVernay, yeah. who's now, you know, after middle of nowhere at Sundance, she's doing Selma, the yeah. Martin Luther King yeah. movie with Brad Pitt and plan B. Yeah. Like it's happening. You know, Ryan Coogler with Fruitvale station. Like, if you're listening or watching this and you're like, well, that doesn't, that seems so far away from me. Well, no, there's like a lot of us are like, we're breaking through. Yeah. We really are, you know, and that, so that should empower you that and give you that stride to be like, you know what? If I find us, you know, for Ryan Coogler, he was a kid from, from up north, up near San Francisco, up in that area near the bay. But yeah, and you know, and that story of Oscar Grant really touched him. It really, and, and for him, because once again, I believe that like his calling as a filmmaker is, is that listen, I have to shed light on the dark areas of the world, yeah. you know, and for him, his calling was like, I gotta tell this guy's story. You know, I went to USC film school. I learned this craft. Now I have to do something with it, mm-hmm. you know, so, yeah. What are some suggestions you have for new filmmakers in terms of getting financing for films? <laughs> <laughs> um, uh, let's see here. You, it, you have to 
you have to ask any and everybody. Mm-hmm. Your mama, your daddy, your grandmama, <laughs> the the trustee board at church, the your local dentist. Yeah. You know, but also know that when you come to anyone, like we're artists, you know, and all throughout mankind, the artist has always needed others to believe in in him, him or her, right. in the man or the, or the female artist. And so at the end of the day, I feel like when you go to people asking for this crazy amount of money to yeah. make a movie, thousands of dollars and millions, whatever it may be have something that they can point back to that gives them the, 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 the thought, the idea that, you know what, maybe this person has it, you know, because it's a really crazy thing just to come to somebody with a wad of paper and be like, hey, this is this is my movie. Yeah. <laughs> I need you to help me make it. I need some money. Well, no, no, no. It's not a movie. It's just a bunch <laughs> of paper. It's just, it's just a story on some paper. There's a huge difference of it being a script and it actually being a movie movie, and being able to translate that Mm -hmm. into a film. So, you know. Now, you mentioned earlier that you work with J. Cole and Rock Nation uh, for Crooked Smile, which you created a short film for, Mm -hmm. which was a a social movement. I mean, the Mm -hmm. the film was uh, action against the war on drugs. And I know that you uh, featured it more on the short film side. Why was it important for you to go that direction versus making it into a bigger film? Well, it in that case, you know, it's you know, I'm really, really proud of J. Cole and and in the stride at Rock Nation and the and and basically them taking a chance mm-hmm. and not doing something tr- traditional because you know Crooked Smile at the time was charting. It was like you know one of J. Cole's highest charting you know um, songs on Billboard, and for him to be like, you know what. I now want to take this, all this attention that I have from a crossover pop song now, and I really want to once again shed light on the dark areas of the world. And I really want to have people's attention. And that's what's really important to me. I mean, look, the Internet, there's going to be a lot of white noise. Yeah. You know, there's going to be a lot of of, of cats and trees. <laughs> yeah. you know, you know, Oversaturation. <laughs> yeah. Just, yeah. <laughs> but at the end of the day, the power of storytelling. You know, and if you if you have a story to tell and you tell it well, you're going to have people's attention. So, well, and when telling that story, what are some of the benefits of creating a short film versus creating a feature film? Well, I mean, in this case, you know, I'm I'm thankful because I don't have to pay for it. <laughs> Jay Z and the wonderful people at Rock Nation, nice, <laughs> you yeah. know, but um, but it's it you. Hmm. Short form is is very very good. Like for example, uh, like I'll give you like for every like so our lives are all about this mm-hmm. now. Everybody's a lot of your attention daily is this. So for example, Crooked Smile and that story, I can get to you much faster with what it is I'm trying to impart on you with because I know you're gonna be like oh wow okay. J. Cole Crooked Smile short <laughs> film. Right. Yeah. It's only, hey, it's only four minutes. Oh, okay. Yeah. You know what I mean? So, yeah. Now, you also have a development deal with ABC for a series of Slave in the White House. Um, how did you manage to successfully go from film to TV? 
What's the name of the elementary school I went to, Daryl? I mean, you, you know, I got, your, I got your social security well, you number. On <laughs> yeah, I got your social security number. I got your Citibank card number. <laughs> <laughs> and your mama named Leslie, Reverend, Reverend, Ma- Reverend Moss. We called her for a couple had a of these. Yeah, yeah, exactly. <laughs> We know that girlfriend you took to prom, you know, all that stuff. Now, we understand your last name is Candace, but your mama's last name is Morrison, though. Um, I'm sorry. I did. I'm sorry. What was the question? You're working with a development deal with ABC. ABC, yes. A a slave in the White House. Um, And now, we obviously know that you are an unbelievable filmmaker, but working in television and directing for that is different. Mm -hmm. So how has the transition been for you to go from film to TV? Well, you know, it's interesting nowadays... I actually was in New York City um, not too long ago. Well, this was years ago. And and as I'm crossing the intersection, there are a group of friends, and they're literally raving about the last episode of Breaking Bad that they've just watched. <laughs> and, I mean, they can't stop talking about it. And as, and as I pass them, you know, me being, to my core, a film nerd and me just loving movies wholeheartedly, I realize in the zeitgeist of society – we're sharing TV the way we used to share movies. You know, sure. it's, you know, and it's, you know, I mean, think about it. I mean, you think about the movement behind, like, Scandal. And, I mean, people, I mean, you, Twitter is on fire over these TV shows mm-hmm. and these characters, you know, and, and House of Cards. And so, anyway, it, for me, and then also, as we were talking about David Fincher before we came on, on air, you know, he he's another one. He's just a master storyteller. So, therefore, he's constantly just looking to tell stories any way possible. Yeah. You know, and I think that, you know, this particular story, I, I couldn't shake it because, you know, I feel like young the younger generation and just people in general, like, I feel like we're not reading like we used to. You know, kids aren't reading the New York Times. You know, we aren't, people really aren't reading, they aren't consuming history and and knowledge through reading the way they used to. So when I found this book, I said, oh, wow, I, I, for myself, someone who, who studied the history of Africa and slavery in America in college, I actually was very ashamed that I didn't know the story. Yeah. And not only that I didn't know the story, but the moment that I saw the title on the book, and it was called A Slave in the White House, I said, oh, yeah, well, of course the slaves were there. You know, but I think all of us in America, whether you're white, black, Asian, Latino, Americans, I think when we think about the history of D.C. and the White House, we don't see the slaves. Um, and so and when I think about this individual like Paul Jennings, who, you know, grew up from age 10 to 66 as a servant in the White House in D.C. He's the first person in United States history to write a memoir about the White House. The War of 1812, when the British invaded D.C. and burnt the White House, and in fact was a 10-year-old slave boy who rescued George Washington's portrait from above the mantle. Oh, wow. What's most fascinating about the story is, is that 20 years before the establishment of the Underground Railroad, led by Harriet Tubman, it, in fact, was Paul Jennings who was helping slaves get their freedom. He had become what was called a subversive in the White House. So as he was wearing the mask as, as a servant, he literally was forging paperwork, finding sympathetic uh, captains of ships, and literally helping slaves get their freedom. Wow. And I just, you know, I was like, oh, wow, like I can't. And for me, I'm, I'm thankful because film versus TV 
this story is so big and so vast, it would be very, very hard for me to go get this made at a studio. Mm -hmm. Right. But when you think about a place like ABC who created Roots and they've been looking for something to continue the lineage of this American storytelling – they're the people that are like, place. it's a perfect place. Yeah. And they say, hey, you know what? We want this to be a long form movie on TV. You know, we want this to be 12 hours. Yeah. And so I'm really thankful for that. You know, it's a huge deal. Yeah. Well, you must have a big closet because you sure do wear a lot of hats. <laughs> <laughs> I came up with that myself. That was uh, good. That was good. <laughs> <laughs> I was like, good Lord, what skeleton? She about the you know, like what? You like my closet. Oh, <laughs> no. no. <laughs> <laughs> you do know everything about me. Seriously. Oh, wow. Did all my homework. Uh, so you are a director, writer, executive producer, film, TV. As if that's not enough, you also have a documentary web series, I Will What I Want. Oh, wow. Yes. Yes, 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 yes. yes. Did yes. you forget about that? No, you know, it's funny. Yeah, I mean, I, but you know what's interesting is that I'm just so thankful because it another thing too is we have to always remember that work begets work like if you put the work in it more will the energy of that will continue itself on it's really really hard being an artist because especially in this town because you know there's a lot of just just idle time yeah you know and i'm really really thankful because i will what i want is actually the under armor series that they've put together and i was really fortunate to do this web series with this phenomenal ballerina named Misty Copeland. Now, excuse me, Misty Copeland is this phenomenal individual who, you know, is one of the world's most premier ballerinas who's been signed as an endorsed athlete at a major sports brand mm -hmm. at Under Armour. And she's someone who is so inspiring and, you know, I can relate to her because I know what it's like to be the underdog. Right. You know, and Misty's story is so special because her entire life she was told she was the wrong face. She was the wrong weight. Mm -hmm. She was the wrong race for ballet. And she totally broke through. You know, and, and so this, you know, this docuseries with Under Armour Macy's on her is literally, you know, it's giving us a look inside of Misty as a dancer, as yeah. a ballerina, you know, and, and I'm so thankful to Under Armour because, you know, my whole thing with them coming out of Sundance with, with love was, is, you know, I, I went to them and I would go in and I'd pitch ideas, creative ideas and, and be like, listen, you know, let me be the guy who tells cinematic stories with your athletes, you know, let's get to know them beyond just the branded idea of someone who's phenomenal athletically and is wearing, you know, your sneakers or your mm -hmm. gear. You know, what is the emotional core of their human condition? Yeah. You know, um, with I Will What I Want, you know, I, and then I started doing my research on Misty, and I found this New York Times article, and the very first line of the article was the ice bucket. And it instantly hit me. I was like, of course, the the ice bucket. You know, she's a dancer. She's a ballerina. She's going to have a symbiotic relationship with an ice bucket because their feet go through mm -hmm. so sure. much yeah. pain. Because okay. a lot of people don't know in those point shoes, their their feet are slammed against a wooden block. Yeah. And I found that very, very interesting. So, you know, I was able to really capture some really beautiful cinematic motion of 
you know, her foot plunging into that ice bucket Aww. and what that means to her and her whole process. So so inspirational. Yeah. Uh, tell us why you think it's important to familiarize yourself with all different outlets of the media rather than just focusing on, you know, solely film or solely television yeah. and whatnot. It, I mean, I think especially nowadays, it's it's really, really important to embrace, as you said, all forms of media. Because, like I said, you know, less and less movies are getting made, you know. And and for me, I'll always love films and I'll always make movies. But at the end of the day, they won't be the, the biggest movies in the world. A lot mm-hmm. of these things will be passion projects. A mm-hmm. lot of these things will be a story that that at the end of the day, to be honest with you, I don't I'm not going to make a lot of money off of but that's not what's driving me. Right. You know, it's just it's just being able to, you know, the happiest moment in my mother and father in my life growing up in Baltimore was every Sunday my dad would faithfully take us to see a movie down mm-hmm. in the Inner Harbor. Mm-hmm. We go have dinner at a Bennigan's. <laughs> wow, Bennigan's. <laughs> Bennigan's. <laughs> we go have dinner at Bennigan's and we'd go see a movie and I'm so thankful for my dad passing that on to me because I fell in love with cinema. Mm-hmm. I fell in love with being able to experience a movie. Um, but now as an adult in the year 2014, you know, film, it's just different, you know. And, and you know, listen, we should be very, very thankful for the wonderful things that are happening in TV, yeah. you know, because now TV has become, you know, really a great place of storytelling, you know, and it's giving a lot of people more opportunities. That's true. And, and at the end of the day, the lines are so blurred. You know, it used to be a stigma about, oh, you're a TV director or you do television versus, you know, film was this you know, this, this creme de la creme. Yeah, it was in its own category. It's its own category. Yeah. Nowadays, trust me, people, trust me, if you're the dude that did True Detective, you get just as much props as the guy who did Gone Girl. Yeah. It, you know, so. It also seems like even uh, the web is changing because yes. because of such great social media pushes out there that that's a whole new category, too, that people are starting to get a lot of recognition for is yeah. put, putting their projects on the web, as you did as well. Yeah. Would you um, suggest for an aspiring filmmaker, if they're trying to kind of gain some some exposure to start maybe on the web portion of creating things on that side before they go into f- trying to create a film, per se? I mean, I think... I mean, I feel like at the end of the day, it's all about how you're defining how you're defining yourself, you know. And um, I think that you know, listen, you I mean Donald Glover? You know, he started with his comedy troupe, and they'd release stuff on the web. Yeah. Awkward bl- black girl. Yeah. You know, I mean, listen, she's got a deal at HBO. She does. Yeah. You know, but we'll always. But see, it's, it's interesting how when we have these conversations, we'll we'll talk about where someone started. And immediately at where, where they, they ended, ended up. up. Yeah. yeah, so she had a web series, yeah. and now she's got a deal at HBO. Yeah. Well, that's no a image. lot. Yeah. There's yeah. A yeah. Lot it goes back to that 10 years that you were talking about. <laughs> exactly. There's a lot of in-between. Yeah, <laughs> You know, there's a lot of in-between. But the great thing about the Internet now is is that if you make like, – like I'll never forget I was at Howard University speaking at Howard Wood. And it's um, it's it's during Howard's homecoming, and they bring people in from Hollywood to speak to Howard students mm-hmm. about breaking into the industry. Same mm-hmm. thing that we're doing right here. Mm-hmm. And there was a young composer, music composer, that stood up and asked me. He's like, "Well, you know, how do I, you know, I want to compose films. Like, how do I break in? Like, how do I get myself like recognized?" 
And I said to him, I said, well, you know, what, what you can do is how about take iconic scenes from iconic movies, Forrest Gump, Shawshank Redemption, Boogie Nights, Goodfellas, Color Purple, and how about you score those scenes the way you would score them? Mm-hmm. You know, and then therefore people can see that like, oh, wow, I never – oh, that's a very interesting take on Forrest Gump. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Who is this guy? Yeah. You know, you always – and so I think – and what's great about the internet is is that he can totally upload that on Vimeo. He can totally go to Twitter and he can totally build – a recognition of who he is yeah. as an artist. Whereas, like I said, when I when when I came to LA, you know, I was just making Super Eight films. Yeah. There was no there was no Twitter, there right. was no Facebook, right? You know what I mean? Only people that could see my films were my family and my classmates, right? Mm-hmm. You know, so that's the power of the internet. Yeah. You know, so what would you like to conquer next in your career? Well, I think it. I always say this, it's, it's hard to make it, but it's even harder to stick and stay. Mm -hmm. Like a lot of people focus on getting in, just, if I can just, if I can just get get on, if I can just get on, you know, um, but I think the real journey is staying relevant Mm -hmm. and staying like, and constantly telling a story that like people like were to the point that when people were at work, people who are having dinner with their loved ones that you're just a part of their conversation you know and so that that's why i think all the other mediums are super super important because listen a film takes a long long time to make mm-hmm. you know um and so when it comes to you know i will what i want with under armor when it comes to doing short films with j cole it's just constantly telling stories any way i can how, how long you said it takes a long time? Like what? Given an example of one of the films and how the length that it took to create it. Well, I mean, Love was eight years. Wow. You know, it was, but then it also was my first film. Yeah. You know, and it took three years to write and rewrite and rewrite, and then it took another five years to get the financing and to get the actors to do the film. And oh. so I just I pray God willing to take another eight to make another one. Mm-hmm. Yeah. You know. Um, so yeah. And now we hit you with some hard questions today, but we want to, you know, we're going to, we're, we're wrapping up the interview, but we want to ask you a couple personal questions that are non, you know, serious, right? Rapid fire. Rapid fire. All right. Come on, you Jessica. I don't know. This is, <laughs> yeah. You got to watch Jessica. Yeah. <laughs> Sneak them in there. <laughs> all right. First question. What is your favorite film of all time? Rocky. What director inspires you the most? What director inspires me the most? Um, do I have to pick one? Just one. Just one. Oh Lord! Um, uh, Steven Spielberg. Yes. What TV show are you most excited to watch this season? Oh, TV show. Um, uh, I mean, outside of watching The Wire over and over again, um, Real Housewives. I, yeah. No. <laughs> How to get away with murder. <laughs> I'm helping no, you out. I'm saying no, ABC show. No, 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 right no. Now. You de- no, you definitely. But here's the thing, though. I mean, but this I will say, yeah. Shout out to Shonda Rhimes. Absolutely. Shonda Thursday. So yes, how to get away with murder? That first, the pilot 
ooh, cliffhanger. Right yes. There. I mean, That's so, good. yes. And that also is my USC sister. You know That's what right. I mean? Fight nice. on, fight on. She's owning Thursday nights. Yes. Love it. So we, you didn't really answer the question, though. Did we get you to answer? You, you oh, said, how to get away with murder. Oh, it is. Okay. But, All no, right. but I mean, I'll just I'll throw them at you real fast. How to get away with murder. Um, True Detective is coming back. Um, you know, I'm hoping they bring another season of Luther back. I love oh, Luther. Yeah, Luther's great. Luther's so yeah, good. It's really yeah. good. You know? So, yeah. Um, yeah, yeah. Which actor would you like to work with that you have not yet? Denzel Washington. Definitely. Good choice. Definitely Denzel the Washington. You know, you ever, you ever watch Denzel um, have a meal in a movie or, or, or pour a glass of wine? Mm-hmm. Next time you watch it, watch this. I've never, I've I'm never gonna, I'm not to pay attention. I'm going to see Equalizer this weekend, so I'm going to pay attention to that it, if he does it. He just, I mean, he makes the most of just, it, it, it's brilliant. It's just beautiful to watch Denzel Washington <laughs> in a movie pour a glass of wine. Now, you all heard that. Sheldon, <laughs> pay attention to that next time you go watch a Denzel next Washington time you movie. Next see a Denzel movie. Sheldon, you have been very inspirational today and given a lot of great information to someone who wants to enter film and write and, and just, just overall just be in the entertainment business. Yes. Where can your fans find more about you and just what projects you're working on on social media? Yeah, for sure. Everything is Sheldon Candace. So Sheldon Candace at Twitter. That's my Facebook. So it's not from your mom's last name, which is... <laughs> hey, this one... She remembers. Hey, hey. There's our reporter. Hey, hey, hey. Yes, stand-up comedian. <laughs> um, yeah, but it's Sheldon Candace, so it's S-H-E-L-D-O-N-C-A-N-D-I-S. Okay. And it's Twitter, Facebook, and then if they want to see any of the work, it's called CinephileAcademy.com. Cinephile Academy. Cinephile, so that's C-I-N-E-P-H-I-L-E Academy.com. Um, and yeah, like, I'm going to be honest with you, like... I'll also say this, too, and I, t- I tell everybody this. Like, it's also my Gmail. Like, anybody sends me a message, like, seriously, like, I'll I'll talk to people. Any- I feel like at the, at the end of the day, us as human beings, I think we, in a sense, have lost the sight that we're all in this together. Mm-hmm. And anything that I can do to help someone further along in their journey, I am that vessel for that. Because at the end of the day, I remember what it was like to be at home on my computer and to watch a director be on Black Hollywood Live or be in and just just trying to figure out how do I get to to get to that space, to get to be able to tell a story, to get to call myself a director. And so I think that that's super, super important. I also in in closing all this out is the important of the importance of mentors, Mm -hmm. you know, and. I have a lot of important people in my life who pulled me along, Mm -hmm. who gave me advice, who pushed me into you can do this. And I think that's really, really important. So whenever I see anybody younger than me, I always try to pass something on to them, you know, because that's super, super important in this life, in this existence, that we constantly push each other through, you know. You can't make it on your own. Nope. Well, what about all the texters out there if you want to give your phone number? I'm just kidding. Oh, just, I mean, seriously. We're going to see a John Lovitz tonight. I mean, <laughs> I mean, Jessica, if they want to find you and your comedy routine, where can they check you out on social find media? Find me on Twitter at I am Jessica King. Boom, boom, ching. And you can find me, Daryl Kristen, on Facebook, Instagram, and Twitter. Sheldon, thank you again um, for coming on to Breaking Into. We will definitely be checking out Very. all your new future projects because I'm sure there's going to be many more and I'm excited to see them. Thank you. Very inspirational. Yes. Thank you. Thank you. See everyone next time. Bye, everybody.
from producers Maria Menounos, Dario Kristen, Tiana Hobson, Kevin Undergaro, and the entire BHL crew, we would like to thank you for supporting Black Hollywood Live, the first online broadcast network dedicated to African-American entertainment. For questions and comments, contact us at info at blackhollywoodlive.com. Like us on Facebook, tweet us, or Instagram us at BHL Online. And I'm your BHL announcer, Scipio. Instagram me at Planet Scipio. Thank you for tuning in. I see, I can't. Hollywood, Hollywood redefined. redefined. The views expressed here are those of the host only and do not necessarily reflect the views of BHL or its owners or principals.